Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 14. Uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one with you so you can follow along. It's on page 1209, uh, which that means if you're in the front half of the book, you're way off. Um, it, if you get to Revelation, just go a little bit before that and you'll find it. Um, and while you're turning to that, just on, this, on a side note before we get started in the message today, uh, some of you may be new to church and you may be wondering, like, I thought this whole thing was about Jesus, so who's this Jira folk that, that we said was enough? I thought it was Jesus. And, and so just a quick little side story, because that song has uh, become popular in the last 12 months. Uh, Jira, so it's one of the names for, for God. Uh, it comes from Jehovah Jira. Um, in Hebrew, it would have been Yahweh Yira, um, or, or they pronounce it with a J, the Y's with a J. And it's first discovered in Genesis chapter 22. Now, in Genesis 22, it's uh, this fascinating tale of Abraham. Abraham is uh, God's chosen one, and he will be the father of many nations, right? He finally has his son, Isaac, with his wife, Sarah. Now, Isaac's grown up to be a bit older. God comes to Abraham, and he tells him, I need you to take your son, the one that I promised you, and in your old age, he's your only son, I need you to take him up onto the mountain and bind him up and sacrifice him. And Abraham goes and does so. And he's faithfully going with his son and says, hey, we've got to gather up all this wood. We're going up. Uh, the Lord told us to make a sacrifice. Along the way, Isaac notices, wait a second. We didn't bring anything to sacrifice with us. What are we sacrificing? And that's when Abraham turns to him and says, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The Lord will be seen. And so it was just as Abraham told his son, as Abraham bound his son up on the altar he made, ready to sacrifice him. The Lord told him to stop, and the Lord provided a goat and told him to go and use that goat as the sacrifice. And so it's also true in our own lives that it is not us that will make us right with God and our sacrifices that will make us right with God, but rather God provided the sacrifice, the only sacrifice needed, which is Jesus. God will provide, and God provided Jesus, and Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is all that we need, and all, if all that you have is Jesus, you have everything in the world, and you are among the most privileged. And so in that, in that moment, that story is a shadow of the story of Jesus to come, that God will provide the sacrifice needed to bring us in right relationship with him so that we can be his forever, not only now, but forever in heaven and then forever in the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. So that's just a bit about Jira. I just wanted to make sure you were aware so you didn't walk in and were like, well, they were about Jesus till they sang this one song. But now you know, the Lord will provide. Our scripture is 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 14 through 18, let us pray. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Um, first off, before we get into the scripture, if you missed last Sunday's message at all, um, I'm going to encourage you strongly to go to the church website to find the sermons on the website and listen or watch to last week's message because we began last week going through our mission here. What is our purpose at First Christian Church of the Beaches? And our purpose is, our purpose is to celebrate the gospel by loving everyone, growing in Christ, and going into the world. And last week we dove into that first step that we celebrate by loving everyone. And so I really encourage you to go through, take the 30 minutes out of your day to listen to that message because it is, it is of vital importance to who we are and who we're becoming and the direction we're going here at First Christian Church of the Beaches. And so today... We're diving into part two, which is celebrating the gospel by growing in Christ. So let us now hear from the Lord in his word there in chapter three, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures." You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So here we find Peter wrapping up his letter. He's giving final words, final instructions. Uh, one thing I enjoy about Peter is he's pretty straightforward in everything that he says. Um, he's, he's not overly verbose in which he uses tons of fluffy words to get to his point. He, he's pretty direct and he's to the point. And he leaves all Christians with very helpful instructions here at the end of his letter. And in these instructions, there's imperatives that he gives. In, imperatives meaning that it is not only important, but it is in, essential for the Christian in our living to do. The imperatives he gives are, are to be diligent and to grow. Now, in other translations there in verse 14, it doesn't say to be diligent. It says to make every effort. Now, it would be nice if I just went through this scripture here and gave you no context to what Peter's writing about and just let you assume it on your own. But Peter points out in these very verses, there's the danger of the ignorant and the unstable to twist scripture into what we want for our own devices for lawlessness. So there's context that's needed. So Peter, as he's writing, he's writing here towards the end of his letter about the coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. Paul in his letters, was, it was of vital importance. He believed that any day, any moment, the Lord was coming back. It was not how we live today, where we're like, wow, it's been 2,000 years. Are we sure maybe it's happening tomorrow? Like, it's probably a little further off. 
than we like to say it is. But the truth is, it's probably coming faster than we're ready for. And so, as Peter's writing, he's talking about the day that the Lord will come, and he gets to this point where he says, as faithful followers of Christ, as Christians, we believe the Lord's coming again, and we are awaiting his arrival and awaiting the new heaven and the new earth. And this is important. This is what we are waiting for as as Peter is writing there. While we're in the midst of this fallen world, we're waiting for the new heaven and the new earth where there's no sin, where there is no flesh and desires going, where we're not battling Satan and evil, but we live in a world that is perfect paradise as God originally created it to be, to where he is glorified and he walks among us and everyone enjoys his presence who is in eternal life with him. Now, he says it's, it's because we're waiting that we have some instructions for us to do while we wait. Peter doesn't give us the easy out. You, you know, Peter doesn't say, hey, now that you're in Christ, congratulations, sit back and wait. Right? That's not what he gives. He, he doesn't put us on the bicycle and says, great, you know how to ride a bicycle. And pushes us downhill and says, just coast. That's not how it is for us Christians. Rather, Peter gives us instructions during the waiting. It is because we are waiting for Christ, because we are in Christ and awaiting the new heaven and the new earth, that we then are to be diligent. We are to make every effort. You know, throughout my illustrious career as a parent, um, in, in the 12 and almost a half years I've been successful at it, my children have endeavored in many different facets of life, from sports to academics uh, to creativity and different things and in their faith life. And through all of them, I have the same parental advice for them. And I didn't come up with it myself. I stole it from Paul from the Bible. And in every instance, the advice is, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, which sounds very simple. It's it's great. It fits perfectly on a bumper sticker. It's great for a dad who's a preacher to tell his kids. It looks cool on a t-shirt if you put the right font, right, John? If we put the right font on it, the youth group would just go crazy over that. Right? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. But within there, there's so much to unpack in how we are doing it for the glory of God. You know, here at First Christian Church of the Beaches, we say we celebrate the gospel. And what we mean by that is we glorify God because the gospel most glorifies God. It is through the salvation of lost sinners who did not deserve salvation that God is glorified through the sufficient and supreme work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. And so there are many avenues in our living, that we can go and glorify God with our gifts and with our talents. We, we have different abilities. We have different ideas. We are unique individuals made in the image of God. And so there's lots of different ways we can go about glorifying God. But in all of the world, in all of the things 
that can happen and go sideways or go our ways. There's only two things we are ever in control of. It's our attitude and it's our effort. Those are the things we are 100% in control of in our lives. And if our attitude is that, that whatever we're doing, we're glorifying God. If that's our attitude that, hey, I'm going to go endeavor to preach the word so that God is glorified. If that's my attitude, then why would my effort ever be less than my best? If we are called that whatever it is we're doing, to do it for the glory of God, why would we ever give less than our best in doing it? So I ask, if, if we, we're not making every effort and we're not giving our best, does that really celebrate the gospel? Does it demonstrate our gratitude? Or rather, is it a small window into the darkness that still resides within our heart? See, Peter encourages us. He says to be diligent, to make every effort to be without blemish, to be spotless and at peace. To make every effort to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Here's the thing, though. I don't want you to be confused. We cannot earn our way to heaven. So this making this effort isn't an effort to get enough gold stars because we don't have enough gold stars at this church to get on your chart to get you in heaven. Even if you were the only one to get all the stars, there's not enough of them, right? There, there's no way that we can make enough effort to earn heaven. And so I want to make sure that we're clear with that. The, the only effort we gave in our salvation was giving all of the sin necessary so that Jesus would go and die on the cross. For Paul writes, God shows his love in this way that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't while we were making every effort to get right with God. It was in the midst of our sin and rebellion against everyone of his ways. In his love, in his loving kindness and patience, in his grace and his mercy, he sent Jesus to live and then to die on the cross, shedding his blood so that our sins would be forgiven. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And three days later, he was resurrected. One of the things we learn when we read scripture and we read through the letters of Paul, we learn about joy, but we learn about gratitude, about this gratefulness. When we come to this fullness of the understanding of how deep our sin was and how great God's love is for us, and we see the chasm and the gap that exists between those and that it took the cross of Christ to bridge that gap so that we could get back to God, our Father, our Maker, our Creator who is in heaven and be with Him in eternity. When we realize that gap is one we would never cross or make up on our own, we begin to have this deep gratitude, thankfulness for God's love and mercy and grace for us.
But if in that gratitude, we then go and live in the things we do for the glory of God and don't give our best effort in doing them, how grateful for that gift are we really? Our lives tend to demonstrate the darkest parts of our souls. For you see, there's a thing about making this effort and this growing in Christ, though. We won't reach perfection, not in this lifetime. There's no such thing as a completed or a, or a perfect Christian in this lifetime. For we won't be reach glorification and perfection until we come face to face on that day that we get to meet the Lord. So what does it look like now for us to grow? What does it look like now for us as Christians in this fallen world battling our own flesh? What does it look like for us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, first, it looks like a Bible without dust being collected on it in our homes. It looks like us finding other men and other women and other people in our lives to pray with us, to pray for us, so that we can pray for them, that we can study scripture together, because we can learn things on our own, and the Holy Spirit will reveal that, but also when we gather with others, we gain wisdom of life and experiences lived and an understandings that we may not have. But the other thing cool about being in study and in fellowship in groups such as that is that it gives us the opportunity to be vulnerable in places we often just shove away and hide. To be vulnerable in confessing our sins, knowing that we can trust the people around us who love us in the very sense the gospel loves us, that they will preach it to us in that moment. To hold us accountable in those times when we begin to fall into our flesh and fall into our sin. They don't allow us to call it good and they don't allow us to let it be permissible, but they call us into accountability. Not because they hate us and they want to see us destroyed and don't want us to have any fun, but because they love us in a true love for us. That's what growing in Christ looks like. Growing in Christ isn't something we go do alone because when we get alone, we can begin to think everything that I think by myself is right and everything everyone else thinks is completely way off base. But none of you have ever done that. It's just, that's just a me problem. It also looks like stretching out of your comfort zones. Serving in ways that maybe you're not gifted or, or have the talents to serve in. It's stretching to serve in places with people that you would never want to ever interact with. Because when we come face to face with someone else, it stretches us. It requires us to grow in grace. It requires us to grow in the knowledge of Christ to be able to share him and his love with them. You see, seven years ago, on January 3rd, 2016, it was my first Sunday here at First Christian Church of the Beaches. I didn't preach that day. Uh, Juan Rodriguez, who is our region, former regional minister, preached a sermon that day, and I remember two things distinctively about his sermon. One, it was way too long 
I mean, church was like an hour and a half that Sunday. It was way too long. The second thing is that there is no other kind of Christian than a growing Christian. There's no other kind of Christian than a growing Christian. For we are to be growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be diligent to make every effort in doing so. See, there was a time in my life and in my walk, my faith journey, that I thought the longer I was in this Christian life, the easier it would become, right? If I, if I do this for a little while, it's got to get easier, right? There's a day when this isn't going to be so hard. I was wrong. In fact, not only does it not get easier, here's a cautionary tale for everyone who might be new in this. It gets harder. It gets harder. Every day gets harder because as we grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ, we realize that chasm between our sin and God's goodness is greater than we thought it was yesterday. It becomes even more hard for us to fathom, what is man that you would be mindful of him? Right? And, and in reality, our faith walk is, as we grow in it, it, it begins with some enthusiasm. And then it slows down we wonder, what do we do next? In fact, that's the whole Christian life. That's how it goes. We, we go from, I go from moments of exploding enthusiasm, thinking I'm going to go conquer the world and, and read all of Scripture in 30 days, and then have overwhelming moments splashed with inertia. You feel where I'm going there? Like moments of exuberance, like I'm so on fire for my faith right now. I could climb any mountain. I could go do anything and anywhere. And, and there is a moment that that occurs. And then there is the next moment that comes when I wake up and I'm like, I need to open my Bible. And my arm doesn't move for the scripture. And I give myself a pass for a day. And then the next day comes and didn't open the scripture then either. The third day comes and maybe I begin building excuses. You know, I was really busy these last few days. I'll get into it next week. So I go ahead and build myself up a few days. And the Christian life is hard. You gotta battle the highs of the exuberance, but also we are battling more often than not the days of inertia where we know our Bible shouldn't be collecting dust. We should know where Second Peter is if we've been in the Christian life for a good amount of time. Yet we struggle with that inertia, with that ability to not move. And Peter says, be diligent to make every effort. Don't run out of excuses. Keep building up ways for you to be reminded, to encourage yourself. That's what makes uh, groups and doing it together help you be accountable, right? Because then when you meet with others and you're like, I have not read my Bible in five days. And they go, what's going on in your life? And there's someone there who can pray with you and help you and carry you through. 
If you don't have that person or persons in your life, find them soon. Find them soon. All of the elders here at the church, the pastors here at the church are willing to walk with you in any sort of way. And we'll be 100% honest. We have those days of inertia too. More often than, we, than you would like to think. And we don't always talk about it, right? We're pastors. We're elders. If you knew we struggled with this, would you still have respect and want to listen to me on a Sunday morning? We struggle with those things. See, we're human too. We all have that same struggle. Peter says, be diligent. Make every effort. Because all we do is to do it for the glory of God. And when we struggle and we get caught up in the inertia and we begin coasting, folks, I'll tell you this, we're not coasting towards Christ. We're on that bicycle coasting backwards down the hill, moving away as fast as we can. The other thing that growth requires that's really hard is it requires pruning. Jesus talks about this himself in John chapter 15. We're going to be pruned. And the thing is, the branches that are cut off from us so that we can grow new branches and produce more fruit, we don't get to pick which branches are cut off. We're not in control of that. God is. But as part of the growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, those branches will be cut off, and it will be so painful. Those relationships end in a way that you didn't think would ever end, and then we have to move on. Or there is other part of our life that we really enjoy that God takes away from us and says, no more, there must be room for something else that can produce more fruit. We can only control our attitude and our effort and all of our living. To hope in the Lord and to glorify him. And to make every effort, not so we puff our chest up and say, look at me. Not to say I'm a wonderful Christian. Not so that we're building up a resume so that on the day of our memorial service, someone else will get up here and say what a wonderful, perfect Christian they were. But so that in all things, good and bad and sideways, our confidence is not in ourselves, but in the Lord. See, I like Peter. He's straightforward. Those instructions are helpful to make every effort to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to him be the glory, both now and to the end of eternity. Amen. This morning we are going to stand and sing. And as we are singing, all the people said amen. As we are